Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. What are your unconscious biases and how can you overcome them? Hello everyone, Kevin Cruz here, and in just a minute, we're gonna talk about building authentic relationships across differences. But first, congratulations on being a lifelong learner and being proactive with your career. You're listening to the LeadX show as you're tying up your sneakers and going for that morning jog, or maybe turning on LeadX when you turn on your car for that morning commute. However you're doing it, when you listen, you know that LeadX is helping you to stand out and get ahead. So I hope you'll tell your friends at work, LeadX is the smartest way to start your day. And today's one minute career tip is master LinkedIn. It's quite simple. If you're not already on the platform, LinkedIn is the social network for business people. There are 467 million users on LinkedIn, 128 million in the United States alone, which is actually the same number of working adults. It's the number one tool used by recruiters and hiring managers, and it should be your home base for your personal brand. A few years ago, I had my entire board of directors huddled up and about a third of them said they hated LinkedIn. They don't like it. They don't like the social media stuff. They don't want spam. Well, a lot of those people ended up reaching out to me over the last year or so. They had been laid off. They were starting from scratch. And unfortunately, they didn't dig their well before they were thirsty. They didn't have their LinkedIn mojo going on. So that's it. The tip of the day is make sure you're on LinkedIn with an updated profile and have it ready to go. Before I introduce our guest, big thanks to all of you who left a review on iTunes last week. It only takes a minute to do, but it means the world to me. Our guest today is the co-founder and CEO of TMI Consulting, a diversity and inclusion firm based out of Richmond, Virginia. She's been named a Diversity Journal's Women Worth Watching list, Metropolitan Business League's Entrepreneur of the Year, B Corp's Best for the World, and Enterprising Women's Enterprising Women of the Year 2017 Award. She's the author of Overcoming Bias, Building Authentic Relationships Across Differences. Our guest is Tiffany Jana. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. So we're going to talk about overcoming bias in just a minute, but I always ask our guests the same first question. And it was interesting to me because you've got an amazing TEDx talk out there. I encourage everyone to go Google it. And in it, you say, this is really great. You say that your many failures are part of your invisible diversity. So will you share a time when you failed, maybe early in your career, and what did you learn from it? Because we all want to learn from it too. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, so early on, the the first iteration of my company, it was, I, I consider becoming an entrepreneur the best decision that I made in my 20s. Uh, but early on in my uh, career, I was focusing on marketing, and I essentially built a virtual company before I knew that was actually a thing. So this was uh, way back in the early 2000s. I was, uh, you know, single mom trying to make it work. And I sort of pieced together the different components of marketing strategy by working with, uh, with different teams of people. 
And that was the first time that I learned the lesson of overcommitment and overpromising. So I was a confident 20-something <laughs> back in those <laughs> days. And what I did to supplement my own capacity was, like I said, I had strategic partners who did, did different things. And I was you know, pretty sure of myself about what I could do. And I was not able to anticipate uh, the demand. I focused on people who were artists trying to get their, their products out to market and a lot of nonprofit work. So I ended up doing a lot of work with nonprofits and I did not anticipate the demand for for the work. Mm -hmm. And I got myself into a position where I simply could not meet the demand. And it's one of those kind of great problems to have. uh, But it is really important strategically as an entrepreneur, as a business person to know what you can handle and to have a plan in place for success, frankly. Um, but it did that that between the over demand uh, based on what I had for capacity, I was not able to keep that afloat. And then the economy crashed and that was all she wrote. So my, my first bis- business uh, <laughs> venture failed kind of epically and it was really disappointing. But um, I'm now a lot more strategic with my growth. Yeah, that's that's great great advice. I mean, it, like you said, it's a quality problem to have, but it really is a re, a real problem. You know, you yes, you can suffer from lack of of business or clients, but if you overcommit and can't deliver, then that uh, that goes in the wrong direction really fast too. So, Tiffany, your book is overcoming bias, building authentic relationships across differences, and I have a feeling. That, when it comes to the the topic of diversity and bias, you know, I've probably got a lot of listeners out there who are thinking like. Yeah, there's a lot of other people out there that have a real problem in this area Um, or they're squirming in their chair like, oh, this is such an uncomfortable topic to talk about. And, you know, I thought um, the way you open your your book is very interesting. You, You say, look, everyone is biased. Everyone is biased in some way. So what is bias and you know why is it so important? So bias itself is just the preference of one thing over another. Um, it's, you know, I, I hope that it's not getting a bad rap like diversity did once upon a time because <laughs> it does scare people. Um, but it really is just a function of the human condition. If we were not able to make shortcuts um, and quickly make decisions and form opinions about things, uh, it would take us too long to deliberate. We really wouldn't survive as a species. You need to be able to look in it, at an orange and know from your previous experience that it's not going to kill you. <laughs> so bias is just, you know, preferring one thing over another. Now, it's not a problem when we're talking about your favorite food, your favorite color, your favorite flavor, uh, but it does get challenging when we start having preferences about people, particularly in the spaces where we're talking about things that they can't control. Uh, And when we get into things like protected categories and genders, things like that, gender, race, you know, religion, age, uh, having a preference for or against uh, any anything in that territory is is definitely sketchy territory. And in the you know in the workplace, that's protected. So you can't simply choose to promote somebody because they happen to share a religion with you. If that's the reason that you promote them over someone else, that's illegal. So that's the the dangerous ground. Now, having the bias, as I said, is not a problem in itself, um, and it it really is. It's not your fault either. That's the other important message in this book. It's not your fault that you have bias. Our culture really kind of uh, acclimates us to preferences in one direction or the other. Everything that we read, everything that we see, media consumption, influences from family, friends, institutions, all of these things are biased by nature. And really, in, in many cases, people are getting information from good people who care about them. 
Um, and that information is not always useful and it's not always timely. You know, some, some biased uh, opinions and, and approaches to life are based on days gone by uh, and are no longer relevant. So it's not anyone's fault that they have bias. Um, but we do have, I believe at this point in our society, an obligation to try to mine ourselves and, uh, for those biases, see what, what they are and do something about it. Yeah. Tiffany, I think that's great. And, and obviously like, <laughs> you know, we can't be doing illegal things. I think, <laughs> well, I guess that's maybe the biggest issue, but to me, even bigger would be, you know, there's a lot of research out there that just shows that, you know, diverse teams tend to outperform, you know, teams yeah. of everybody who thinks the same way. And certainly I believe, you know, wholeheartedly that leaders need to be surrounded by diverse, you know, opinions and people and backgrounds. And and it's in anything. I mean, what like I said, whether it's race or age, I mean, so many people are bashing you know, millennials these days, you know, I, I'm a 50, I just turned 50 and it's like, I want millennials around so that I can have a clue about what's going on and what's coming next and how to reach that, you know, target population. And so I think people are just really kind of shooting themselves in the foot if they are not understanding that they do have some biases. And as you said, you know, to, to try to uncover them and explore them. So they're not hurting us or holding us back. And, and in fact, you know, your book has, 10 different activities that are designed to do that, to uncover and explore our biases. So we can't, you know, it's a short format show. We can't do all 10, but can you just share one or two of these activities with us? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of the, we've got a couple of inventories. We've got the diversity inventory and the culture inventory. Um, the diversity inventory is, is one of my favorite because it really hits close to home. It's very personal. And with that, what we like to ask people to think about is uh, identify the sort of top five people in your circle of trust. So if you were to win the lottery or lose your job, something fabulous or something awful happens, who are the first five people you would contact? Um, and it's, you know, it can be family, friends, anybody, but think about those folks. And then we ask you to think about the demographics that they represent. So, you know, what is, what are their genders? Uh, what are their races? What are their sexual orientations if you know them? Uh, what are their you know, religious preferences if they have them? And then think about how similar or how different those people are from you. Mm. And it's an exercise, the kind of exercise that most of us don't take the time to do. We just, our circle of trust is our circle of trust. Where friends are, who our friends are. And in many cases, that circle of trust includes mostly family. And whether you're choosing family or friends, what people often find is that there are a lot of similarities between those people. Some of those are demographic similarities. Some of them are, you know, approaches to life, worldview, uh, and some of them are things like, you know, like like race and things like that. For if, for instance, if they are people in your family, um, they tend to be a lot like us in many ways physically. And then one thing that we find is that people often often say that the people who are in their circle of the trust are people who they've had experiences over time with. So they're people who, if they tell them something dramatic it's not going to break the relationship because the relationship has been tested over time. Yeah. I, that's interesting. I hadn't even other than saying, you know, who, who would you call if you need to get bailed out of jail? How would you define the people who are closest to you? And you're right. It's the people who you've over time, you know, you've revealed a lot uh, to them and they've revealed a lot to you. Not always our best moments. Right. And exactly. Yet it makes it safe to continue uh, to do that. So that's interesting. I'm taking notes because I, I'm going to have to come back to this, but if it's only five, I'm suddenly looking very um, 
white, old, and male, which doesn't make me feel very good. So I'm like, can I call 10 people? Can I put 10 people on this list? Um, and you don't have to feel bad. Like that, that happens. Like attracts like. We are comforted by that which is familiar. I mean, even when you when you think about something as simple as, you know, our standards of beauty, beauty, people say, is the sum total of um, sort of the average of all the faces we've ever seen. Mm. Well, if you're surrounded by people who look like you, you're going to find people who look like you attractive. Right. And again, this is just it's just the way the brain is hardwired. So we, you know, don't guilt yourself. But if it's something that if you feel that diversity would add value and no pun intended color <laughs> to your life, then when you have the opportunity to build experiences over time with people, maybe you want to broaden your horizons a little bit. Yeah. And, and Tiffany, I like what, you know, you're saying like, you know, don't, don't guilt yourself and realize that everybody has biases in different things. It's a, it's a preference. You know, you certainly are making it safe to explore the, the, the topic. And this is true. So, you know, one of the things you have in your book is you give the link to the, um, the implicit association test, which is uh, hosted at Harvard University. And I'll have to put the, the web link in the show notes because it's kind of a complicated one. But basically, this is an online test that you can take that then get, gives you a result of what your biases are. And it's, there's a, a black-white preference and there's other ones. I went and, and took it, Tiffany, and the only one that they had up on, on that day, I don't know why, was the was the black white. And the interesting thing is about the, the kind of the emotions or the guilt. As I'm taking this test, I'm thinking, I'm hearing this dialogue and I'm thinking, you know, like th if I come back and this tells me that I'm biased, this is going to be a really awkward conversation. I'm going to be telling Tiffany that I took the test and I'm biased, you know, <laughs> against uh, mixed race couples or whatever it is. But then I also said, if it tells me I'm not biased, I... Like they're gonna think I'm lying. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I hope it does tell me that I'm biased. It'd be interesting to explore that. And then it turns out that it said that I did not have a preference. That you know, their language is like you don't have a preference, and there's like 17% that don't have a preference. And then I'm like, God, I want to take a different one because I'm sure I've got to reveal a bias against I know I've got prejudices, so I need to reveal them. But there's all this chatter going on in my mind, you know, even as I'm trying to explore it. That's really fascinating. So it's it is it is pretty like 17%. It's pretty rare to find somebody on that one uh, that has little to no preference in either direction. And I'm very curious about them only having one up that day because typically there are many, many, many that you can choose from. So you should definitely log in again uh, because they typically have um, you know a dozen or so up and they rotate them all the time. Okay. So good, you can good. get yeah you can get uh, skin color, you can get religion, weight sexual orientation, all kinds of things. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, no, that's that that is fascinating. And the other thing, I'm not to go off too much on a tangent on this, but as I was thinking about this and reading your book, you know, I've got a, an interesting situation in that um, I, I have a home in uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is north of Philadelphia. And then I've got a, a, a condo, a home in Center City, Philadelphia. And it, in reading your book and thinking about these issues, it's like two different worlds, uh, Tiffany. Like I think about, you know, there's such a lack of diversity here in Bucks County. And I think about, okay, who would be the five people I'm closest to when I'm in Bucks County? And that looks one way. And then I think about who do I see and my neighbors and who do I work with and who would be my top five when I'm in Center City, Philadelphia. And it's a completely different story. And this is only 20 miles 
apart. And it's really crazy how just a little shift in geography completely changes um, who we're exposed to, what we're exposed to. And I have to think that that's a lot of what goes into this, right? Absolutely. And what that phenomenon that you're experiencing is the case all over the United States. So it's um, it's a little disconcerting when people when people kind of pigeonhole Southerners as having, you know, race issues or racism being a Southern issue. The very layout of our American cities is the result of, you know, systematic racism. Once upon a time, the city centers were populated with people of, you know, all demographics. And, you know, a lot of white people lived downtown, too, and lived in the city. And then, you know, when when desegregation happened um, and the sort of post-civil rights movement, white flight was a thing. And most people are, you know, are somewhat familiar with that. Right. But as, you know, as black people began to get more access you know, white people decided to move further and further into the sort of outskirts of the city, hence creating the suburbs. But when we think about our exposure to people, and that's actually, um, you know, that's, you know, we look at the diversity in inventory, that's what we're looking at. When you look at your access to people, we are actually more segregated now than we were in the height of segregation. Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of uh, <laughs> of the week. We tend to worship with people who look like us. Hmm. Our schools are incredibly segregated. Right. Our, our neighborhoods and communities are still incredibly segregated. So we're not getting the kinds of opportunities that we need uh, to really you know, build those relationships across differences. When I was working on my dissertation, I actually came across this theory called uh, contact theory, Gordon Allport, uh, back in 1954. 1954 in the States, we weren't really trying to get over our bias. Right. <laughs> so it's not right. a wonder that people don't know about the study. Your, your company wouldn't have done very well back then. <laughs> not, not so much. Not so much. But yeah, he was able to he was able to show that interpersonal prejudice, one, comes from a lack of exposure and a lack of understanding about different people, and that that prejudice and bias could be reduced through the exposure to different people over time with some specific conditions in place. And he kind of lists those four conditions out. But our biases are surmountable. Um, they do come from either lived experience or, you know, information that's been caught on our hard drive over time. And it's time for us to really take that inventory and figure out what's on the hard drive and clean that bad boy out. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great way to put it. You also write about uh, in uh, one chapter in particular about privilege. And again, I think even when I just say the word privilege, there's probably a lot of listeners that are going to automatically assume I'm talking about white privilege and maybe people are starting to squirm a little uh, as, as I, I bring up privilege. But you write privilege simply means an advantage available to one group that isn't available to everyone and that it's not just there isn't just white privilege. So t tell me more about that. Yeah, so this was actually the topic of my TED talk, the the, uh, the power of privilege. Uh, privilege is, you know, for, for some folks, when that conversation happens, people do get really nervous. And no one should be made to feel bad about privilege. And this is the this is the kind of the cornerstone that my consultancy is built off of. No blame and shame, aspirational. Mm. We should be focusing on how diversity helps us and like the research that you referenced. So privilege, I, I like to take it out of the realm of, okay, it's a white male, you know, Anglo-Saxon right. thing, right? Not, not at all. Um, for instance, I, you know, I just defended my dissertation. I am now Dr. Tiffany Jana. Congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> so, such a long time coming. Goodness gracious. I'm so glad to be done. <laughs> but what that affords me is a level of privilege in society that many people don't have and won't ever have. I am an African-American woman with an invisible disability. 
you know, and that puts me in a sort of multiple marginalized right. categories and people wouldn't look at me and say, oh, how privileged. But in fact, by virtue of my education, by virtue of my my upbringing, I was I was raised by a Ph.D. and an M.D. Mm. Um, so I I was raised with a great deal of privilege. So it is it is really relative um, what privilege is, but it just has to do with having access and, you know, in some cases having exposure that everyone doesn't have. And we all have some degree of privilege some way. And I'm a big fan of the, you know, the, the ever improving human. And I do believe that again, nobody here, you know, on, on planet earth created racism, all right? Nobody here is responsible for having created this mess that we're in and the, you know, sexism right. and all of the isms, homophobia, whatever. It, it just simply is a fact of life. But if we are able to recognize that, yes, we do have unconscious bias and that is not a bad thing, but what can I do about it? If we're able to recognize, yes, I do have some privilege, it's not a bad thing, but how can I use my privilege for good? How can I use that advantage to help someone else? Those are the things that I think are our responsibilities. And, you know, in fact, it's also a privilege to be able to use those, right. <laughs> those elements and advantages that we have, you know, to help humanity or help our neighbor or, you know, just sort of advance whatever causes that we can. Love it. Now, before we wrap up, I always try to get our listeners to take some action every single day to get 1% better. So what can we do today, to, uh, you know, another idea to begin to identify and overcome, you know, our, our bias and to build authentic relationships? Yeah, so I actually would go back to uh, an exercise in the book that is a very accessible, very easy way for people to broaden those horizons and uh, sort of, you know, deal with the, the, the biases that they might have. And that would be um, the, the cultural inventory to reach out beyond the resources that you typically reach out for. So uh, in the cultural inventory, we ask people to you know, list the last three books they read, the last three movies they saw, TV shows, music, etc. And again, you'll find that you gravitate towards similar things over time. And what I would ask you to do if you want to be 1% better is pick up a book by an author from a demographic that is vastly different from anything you normally read. Mm. Listen to some music that represents, you know, folks far, far away from you. Watch a show with lead characters that don't look anything like you. You know, I feel like that's very easy because that's something that you can do in the privacy of your own home. Nobody there to judge you or, yeah, right, right. or have any kind of opinion. But it will give you a window into someone else's world, into a whole group of people's world, a window that will increase your understanding of them and by extension increase your compassion and make them part of your in-group. Love this challenge because, you know, not everybody can travel the 20 miles and get a whole different cultural experience, but everybody can pick up a different book, watch a different movie, listen to some different music. Tiffany, I want to thank you for coming on the LeadX show. And will you tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and your work? Yeah, so we are at tmiconsultinginc.com. So you can either just Google Tiffany, Jana, and diversity. I'm a very Googleable person. <laughs> but you can reach us at tmiconsultinginc.com. And uh, if anybody wants to chat or learn more, I'm more than happy to tell you about us. That's great. All right, friends, you've just been mentored by Dr. Tiffany Jana. <laughs> Don't forget, you can get links and notes from this interview over at leadx.org. 
You can get Tiffany's book from Amazon.com or your favorite bookstore. And while that's it for this episode, friends, don't forget to download the free ebook, Richard Branson's Seven Secrets to Leadership at leadx.org forward slash Branson. And until next time, remember, leadership is not a choice because leadership isn't about authority. It's about influence. You influence people with both your words and your silence, your actions and inaction. We are all leaders. Don't be a bystander. Lead with intent. Intent.